0: Chapter 6. Stupid, Snarky Subconscious The police got very tight-lipped after Pau turned over the ring. She tried her million-questions routine, but it was clear she and Dante had reached the limit of their usefulness as far as the grown-ups were concerned. They didn't tell her a thing. What does this mean, she asked herself. Had there been something to her dream after all? Pau's subconscious making a connection she couldn't prove with facts. It happened, she told herself. It's neuroscience, not magic. But dream science was still frustratingly nebulous, as Pow had learned in her years of reading about nightmares. There was nothing she could say about her dream that wouldn't make her sound totally batty, so she didn't mention it to anyone, even though it continued to nag at her. The police left to go back to the station where they said they would get their resources together to begin an organized search. They told her reassuring things they couldn't back up. Pow knew the truth. The police didn't know any more than she did. Pow's mom was due at the bar by noon to work a double shift. Would you rather I stay home today? she asked Pal. I could call in sick. But Pal saw the lines around her mother's eyes grow more pronounced as she offered, probably at the thought of losing out on tips. I'll be fine, Mom. Pal can hang out with me and my abuela till you're back, Dante chimed in, as the polite tiptoeing between mother and daughter threatened to become awkward. Aren't you supposed to play soccer at the park? Pal asked him, trying to keep the bitterness out of her tone. Dante gave her a look that said, don't be ridiculous. And even in the midst of the world's worst circumstances, Pal felt a tiny ray of light break through the clouds. Oh, thank you, Pal's mom said. Also reading Dante's expression, she hugged him impulsively. And thank your grandma for me too. As glad as Pal was to not be alone, once they were back at Dante's room, she could barely breathe. The PlayStation stayed off and the ceiling fan uselessly stirred the sultry afternoon air. The last thing Pal wanted to do was sit there doing nothing, ignoring the pile of as-yet-to-be-folded laundry on the floor and the milk crates of comics stacked everywhere. She paced the room as Dante threw a mini-basketball against the wall again and again. The pounding was driving her crazy, but she didn't have the heart to tell him to stop, not after he'd given up his soccer game to stay with her. Everything changed when I found the ring, she thought. Pau's discovery of hard evidence that Emma had been at the riverbank, a precious belonging she never would have left behind voluntarily, made her friend's disappearance real and serious. Pau was well acquainted with the looks adults gave kids when they didn't think they could handle something, and today, after the ring, she'd seen it on three faces at once. I had a dream, Powell finally. Pau finally blurted out. Dante stopped throwing the ball and looked at her. She'd never told him about her nightmares before, but this felt too important to keep to herself. And who could she trust besides Dante? Okay. Before Emma disappeared, I dreamed about a hand coming out of the river, and it had a ring on it, Pau said, the words bumping into one another as she spat them out too fast. And then last night, I dreamed that the guy we saw by the river was the same one from the news, you know, the Mesa kidnapper. Dante's eyes were wide by the time she finished. He didn't say anything at first. It's probably a coincidence, right? Pow asked. I mean, my dreams are just electrical impulses that take things from our memories. It's nonsense. I shouldn't have... You gotta admit, it's kind of weird, though. Dante cut in, looking even more worried now. Yeah, said Pow, biting her fingernails. I guess. Silence fell between them. Pow so intensely regretted bringing up her dreams. It was like a physical sensation. She might as well have quoted her mom. Dreams are visions that have a purpose in our greater journey. It was so unscientific. Dante probably thought she was an idiot. When he mentioned lunch, Powell wasn't hungry at all, but she dragged her feet across the root beer brown carpet anyway, just for something to do. Dreading the pitying looks of another grown-up who wouldn't tell them anything important. None to, not to mention having to sit across from Dante while he regretted skipping soccer with his cool friends to hang out with the town weirdo. But Dante's abuela wasn't in the kitchen. True to form, Signora Mata had left the TV blaring and food out in the dining room or on the dining room table. But when Dante called abuela, there was no answer from her bedroom. He shrugged, but Pau could tell he was nervous. Everything felt off today. His abuela rarely left the apartment, only to go shopping at the grocery down the block and to play Bingo and Español every Saturday at the community center. They were picking at their reheated chicken enchiladas when the local news jingle played from the television. Pow's heart raced. Would they report on Emma's disappearance? Pow snapped to attention, appreciating Dante's silence as the anchor began to speak. Silver Springs is reeling today over the disappearance of a 12-year-old girl, came the first sentence and the blood pounding in Pau's ears made the, sound, the voice sound far away. Pau felt rather than saw Dante move his chair next to hers. His presence was comforting, despite her embarrassment over confessing her dreams. Emma Lockwood was last seen by her parents, Connor and Karen Lockwood, yesterday evening, when she left home to meet two school friends near the notoriously dangerous Gila River, the site of a drowning last year. The scene cut to a shot of the Gila, which looked more ominous than ever dark and agitated in the afternoon light, late afternoon light, while the anchor told the, of the many drownings that had taken place in town since its founding a hundred years ago. Pow took another bite of her enchilada, but it felt like she was chewing cardboard. Police spent the morning investigating the possible site of Miss Lockwood's disappearance, and a personal item of jewelry was discovered there. "'Yeah, by me!' Pow yelled at the TV, standing up too quickly, her knee colliding with the table." Dante grabbed her hand to pull her back down, and when she sat, he kept holding it. If her heart had been racing before, it now felt like it was trying to escape her ribca- rib cage. But she didn't take her hand away, even though his was kind of sweaty. Those of you following the recent disappearances in Mesa may recognize a pattern. Each of the five victims, all under the age of 13, was wearing expensive jewelry at the time of their abduction. There hasn't been any word yet from the Silver Springs police about a possible connection but maricopa county sheriffs plan to take over the local investigation starting tomorrow pow dante said pointedly not looking at their hands which were still linked between the chair between their chairs did you know that about the victims and jewelry maybe that's why you saw the ring in your dream nah pow said quickly i just know emma's ring really well that's all it's only electrical impulses right but Dante didn't sound fully convinced, and Pao didn't know if she was either. Before they could discuss it further, Señora Mata banged through the front door with a crocheted shopping bag swinging from her one arm, her normally well-ordered hair wild and her face red like she'd been running. Dante dropped Pao's hand like it was too—it was a too-hot tortilla straight off the griddle, and even in the storm of other emotions coursing through her, Pao surprised herself by wishing he hadn't. ¿Dónde estabas? Dante asked. His eyes flashed. Oh, you're the jefe around here now? You make the curfew? Dante looked at his lap and mumbled, No, senora. I needed a few things from the storage. Not that it's any of your business, hmm? He nodded and pal kept her eyes on her plate. For the first time in living memory, senora Mata strode over to the TV and turned it off, the bag still dangling from her elbow as she looked back at them, her gaze softer now. Eat, rest. You don't need to be watching this. At any other time, Pao would have been thrilled to see her turn off the news, but today it made her heart sink. Eat, Dante's abuela said again. Worrying is hard work. But it was kind of hard for Pao to concentrate on eating when one of her two best friends had just held her hand and the other might have been the latest victim of a notorious kidnapper, and she couldn't form a sensible hypothesis about either occurrence. That night, Dante's abuela made up up the couch for Pao to sleep on. When they were younger, Pau and Dante had slept like sardines in his race car bed, but Signora Mata had put a stop to that a few years ago for reasons she hadn't bothered to elaborate on. Well, unless crossing herself and glaring at them counted as elaborating. Pao wasn't sure she wouldn't be able to fall asleep Pau was sure she wouldn't be able to fall asleep, but soon enough her thoughts grew fuzzy and disjointed. She was riding Emma's purple bike, which turned into an eggplant that Pau's mom had once received as payment for a remedio. The eggplant became a jack-o'-lantern, opening its mouth wide to swallow Pow whole. She wasn't surprised to eventually find herself back on the bank of the Erie River, its greenish glow still present, the strange shapes floating under the surface, beckoning. Pao felt a familiar restlessness build inside her, the same feeling she got when her mom lectured her for too long about candles or intentions or various creatures from folklore. Pao didn't have time for creepy dreams right then. It's not real, she said aloud, her voice sounding strange and muffled to her ears. As if mocking her, the disembodied hand drifted toward her, Emma's purple, polished finger sporting its ruby ring. It's just a coincidence, Pau said, though goosebumps chased themselves up and down her arms as the hand came closer. It's just a coincidence. Dreams are just dreams, and there's no such thing as... Ghosts, we know. Don't you ever get tired of the sounds of your own repetitive skepticism? I know I do. Pow, whirled around, her dream heart pounding, the hand now creeping clumsily toward her like a five-legged spider. Who said that? It's always the same inane questions, said the voice again, but there was no one around. I know this is a dream, Pow said, trying to sound brave, even as she kept one eye on the approaching hand. I'm not really here. I'm on the couch in my friend's living room. His grandma is snoring. I just have to wake up. Beside her, where there had been nothing but strange, dream-dense air a second before, the shape of a bored-looking girl materialized with a pop. If she hadn't been mentally reciting her this-is-all-a-dream mantra, Pa would have screamed, which would have been so undignified. As it was, all she did was jump back slightly, which, like anyone anyone would have. Even if they were totally practical and level-headed, and not at all scared. "'Better?' the girl asked, tossing her nearly waist-length black curls behind her. Pal gaped like a three-headed fish. The girl looked to be about her age. Her heart-shaped face was pale, and her wide, long-lashed eyes glowed eerily in the green light of the bioluminescent Dream River. Her dress was black and old-fashioned, with a high collar and lace around the sleeves and hem. Her ankle boots, hovering strangely above the sand, had heels.' "'My subconscious has a lot of explaining to do,' "'Pow finally muttered. "'Please,' said the girl, rolling her eyes. "'A gesture she seemed to use her whole body to accomplish. "'You think you have the imagination to create me? "'Tell me another one.' "'Stupid, snarky subconscious,' said Pow. "'My name,' said the girl, "'is Ondina, not subconscious.' "'Please let me wake up now,' Pow said, "'looking beseechingly at the utterly black sky "'of her dream world.' I promise I'll let my mom light candles for protection or feed me weird tinctures for dreamless sleep or do whatever she wants to do. Just let me wake up. Nothing happened. How's that working for you? asked Lindina, hand cupping her chin, long, thin fingers tapping impatiently on her elbow. Fine, Pa snapped, looking at her almost without meaning to, this stupid figment of her imagination that she'd probably, hopefully, forget about before breakfast. If you're not a dream, what are you? This is boring, Ondina said, tossing her hair again. It doesn't matter what I am. What matters is that your friend is missing and you're obeying your bedtime, just like grown-ups told you to. The hand was reaching for her again, the gem on its ring now glinting green, just like Ondina's eyes. Pow's shoulders slumped. There's nothing I can do. Do you really believe that? Ondina asked, her gaze intense, all traces of boredom gone. Or is that just what you've been told? Now you're definitely starting to sound like my subconscious. But before Ondina could retort, the hand finally reached Pal. It grabbed the toe of her shoe, and instinctively she tried to shake it off. "You can't run," Ondina said, but her voice sounded farther away now. She needs you. The hand clung tighter; its pale fingers twisting in her shoelaces. Pal knew it would happen. What would happen next? "I can't," Pal said, but the hand refused to let go like it was really emma and pow was trying to abandon her i can't and when the time comes Ondina said watching indifferently as the hand started to drag pow away once more don't hesitate it won't save them what do you mean pow asked fighting the pole even though she knew how futile it was save who you'll find out andina said in a sing-song voice and then she was gone The hand dragged Pau toward the river, and the green glow took over her vision as water soaked her clothes. She dug her nails into the rocky sand, trying to claw her way out, knowing it was pointless, but unwilling to go quietly. It didn't help. Soon the green blotted out everything. Pau awoke to find a hand around her wrist. She thrashed her legs and pulled her arm away, a scream building in her throat. But she wasn't at the river. There was no green glow, and the hand she understood as real life came into focus. And the hand she understood as real life came into focus in the dark living room wasn't detached or ghostly pale. Above it was her mother's face, looking tired and worried. Sorry, Pal mumbled. Time to go home. Her mom nodded. As Pal pushed herself up, she did her best to hide the fact she was shaking. She wondered if she'd been thrashing or moaning in her sleep. The feeling of Ondina's dark, accusing gaze lingered, as did the death grip of Emma's hand. The clock on the wall read 3.30 a.m. Under normal circumstances, Mom would have let her sleep at Dante's until morning, but Pau figured she must have been thinking of the Lockwoods, whose daughter's bed was empty again tonight. Pau didn't mind the ridiculously early wake-up. It had rescued her from further terror, and even with the strangeness between the two of them, she felt better now that they were back together. They tried to creep out as quietly as possible, but still Dante's abuela appeared in her bedroom doorway in a dressing gown, eyes wide. For a split second, Pau wanted to ask if she'd heard a, had a weird dream too. Instead, she raised a hand in farewell, and Pau's mom whispered her thanks. Pau could sense the senora staring at her until the door closed behind them. So you're going to tell me what that was all about? Pau's mom asked when they reached her, their own stuffy, candle-scented living room. "'What?' Pao asked unconvincingly. "'The nightmare.' "'I wasn't having a nightmare.' "'Paola Santiago, I know you stopped having those dreams years ago, "'but don't think I forgot what they look like.' "'But of course, Pau hadn't stopped having the dreams. "'She just hadn't told her mom that.' "'Yeah, maybe everything with Emma is getting to me,' Pao said, "'rubbing her eyes for effect. "'It's been a long day.' "'What did you see in your dream?' her mom asked, "'her eyes too sharp for someone just coming off a 15-hour shift.' Pow could have told her explained that she dreamed about Emma's hand and the ring before her friend was declared missing, dreamed about the Mesa kidnapper before the police made the connection. Pow could have asked what it all meant and accepted the help she knew her mom was dying to give her, but telling her would mean that Odina Ondina had been right and real that Pow's dreams had significance. It would mean admitting to herself that her best friend's crawling zombie hand and the weird snarky girl on the green glowing river were something more than just passive subconscious reacting to a truly terrible day. I don't remember, she said, faking a yawn, even though she was anything but sleepy. I'm sure it was just a one-time thing. The look on her mom's face said she didn't believe that for a second, but after a very pregnant pause, she smoothed Pau's hair back off her forehead and let out a small, almost inaudible sigh. Get to bed, Mijita, she said. Tomorrow will be better. Pao just nodded, but the space between them felt as big and empty as her dream's black sky. Without overthinking it, Pao stepped forward and hugged her mom hard. I love you, she said. Pao's mom hugged her back just as fiercely. I love you too, Paola, she said, por siempre, no matter what. I hope you meant that, Pao thought, when she was back in bed because her stupid snarky subconscious had been right about one thing. She wasn't willing to let Emma go. She was going to do something about it. And she was sure wasn't and she wasn't sure her mom was going to like the way she planned to fight back. In fact, Pau was absolutely positive she wouldn't.